0: Today on the Ravelin Fraud Academy podcast, we're looking at the potential for merchants to work collectively to combat fraud, and what that could possibly look like. We're lucky to be joined by Jill Wells, who is the co-chair of the European Advisory Board for the Merchant Risk Council, an organization dedicated to making online commerce safe for all
1: merchants. Hi Jill,
0: welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Um, I think it's going to be an interesting topic today. I think, to my mind at least, the industry, the fraud industry, the fraud fighting industry over the last couple of years has done a reasonably good job of doing, well, combating fraud, but doing it as individual companies. We've for individual solutions, we've bought know, from individual vendors, uh, and fraud has evolved over that time and seems to be getting smarter. Um, so I'm wondering, is the next step to move beyond these individual solutions and start to collaborate as an industry to fight fraud? I mean, what are your thoughts on
1: yeah, I think, you know, collaboration, you know, certainly for me has been really important in um, combating fraud. And I think, you know, one of the, you know, the big takeaways, uh, you know, in terms of pushing collaboration is that you you don't know what you don't know. Mm-hmm. And um, by speaking to other merchants or people with similar experiences, um, you actually get to understand the fraud a bit better. Because, you know, when you first uh, come into the sort of fraud fighting scene, uh, typically a company... Um, who starts taking payments will start seeing chargebacks and they need to understand why they're getting those chargebacks. I think you can do, um, you know, a certain level of root cause analysis, um, but there comes a point where you you need to learn more. And uh, by speaking to people, um, you get to learn from their experiences. You get to kind of fast track your own learnings by, you know, instead of struggling on your own. And I think there's a lot of value in that.
0: Um, Do you think that people are generally receptive to sharing that information with each other, just to sort of, you know, how to and what's happening and, you know, um, some general advice on what to do best against fraud or do they tend to keep that information to themselves?
1: Yeah, it's a a tricky one. I think... um I think once you get in a comfortable environment and you you trust the people that you're with, you, mm-hmm. you do tend to share more. And I think um, creating those environments is quite important. Yeah. Um, you know, there's, there's um, organizations that um, create those environments. Um, you know, you can have discussion tables or uh, intimate workshops, those sort of things. And um, I think you get a, a lot more value out of that than just being talked at by an expert. Mm-hmm. Um, because at the end of the day... Or say at the end of that session, I think you know you do see a lot of the audience members going up to that uh, that right. speaker and you know asking about their individual problem because yes, you've you've learnt about some high level sort of fraud strategies that fraudsters are using, um, but you want to learn more about how that applies to your business. So having those um, having those connections and speaking to someone that you trust. Um, you know, I think you can get more out of it and creating those environments is really important. I mean, it seems logical,
0: right? I mean, it, it's, no matter what business you're in, it's a, you know, a common common enemy is the, uh, the fraudster. It's not a case of, I don't think at least, it's a case of competitive advantage.
1: Yeah.
0: But, I mean, what sensitivities do you think people have you're sharing uh, advice, but it's also sharing data? I mean, yeah. you know,
1: I mean, what's... First of all... Um... You know, sharing your KPIs um, is quite doing at combating fraud, and right. you know there's there's sensitivities around that. Um, you know, and then from a sort of data perspective, you you know you have to run the gamut of all the the rules and regulations around uh, data protection and um, data privacy and uh, PCI, yeah. and uh, that gets very complex very quickly you've got uh, country specific regulations that you have to take into consideration especially if you're, you're a global merchant um and uh and yeah i think it it becomes it becomes really hard and i think trying to find a way to share that information um you know you you need to have you know i think and understanding from your lawyers or your legal teams about how you can do that without breaking any rules or not putting your company in, you know, not putting your company... In peril. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, you, we, we, we want to mitigate those, those vulnerabilities. So I think it's, uh, I think it's a difficult one, um, but I don't think it's unobtainable. I mean, sometimes it's not just sharing the data, it's just sharing your experiences and, and learning from what other people have done.
0: I mean, let's imagine a wonderful world where there are no legal difficulties or PCI compliance, um, or or those problems are at least resolved. I mean, what information or data do you think companies should be sharing with each other uh, in order to you know mitigate
1: fraud? Well, I think um, you know some of the. Some of the obvious ones, and you know, some of the easier ones. I know you want me to disregard regulations, but yeah. um, when it comes to, you know, what comes to mind is uh, fraud notifications. We have TC40s from Visa and Safe notifications from Mastercard. These are uh, confirmed fraud alerts that um, merchants can receive from the acquirers, or even straight from the schemes, if mm-hmm. you like. Um, that uh, that can be received before a chargeback has been um, issued so you know that information uh it's it's obvious fraud and you can work with that um yeah. with that data to you know uh refund a transaction before it goes to a chargeback and you can also share that information because it doesn't come under PCI it's um uh it's you know ideally it should be cards that have been canceled because they've been used fraudulently mm-hmm. so um it should be one it's easier to obtain um and it's free to obtain and you know getting into a position where we can share that should be easier and i think because it's confirmed fraud there's no sort of issues with the integrity of the data yeah um i don't see why we shouldn't be sharing that
0: i mean is that a big concern in the industry that one a fraudster in one vendor or for one merchant is not a fraudster in another merchant and yeah blocking them is a you know a potential false positives is that what you think
1: yeah back the, I think the, you know promotion. the the integrity of the data is um, a real concern I mean if you want to share um, parameters pertaining to chargebacks yeah um, you know not all chargebacks are issued because uh, a transaction was fraudulent sometimes it's because um, you know you have reason codes like service not rendered product not as described um, you know I don't want you know you know as a as a merchant in the food delivery business, I want to, if I'm going to receive data from another merchant in the food delivery business, I want it to be because, um, a a stolen card was used to make a payment, um, for a pizza, not because the pizza was cold. Okay. So I think, uh, you know, that's, that's where it becomes important to get the right data and, um, having that understanding across, um, you know, merchants collaborating and sharing is really important. But these,
0: these are, I guess, hard problems. They're knotty problems. They're complex, but they sound like they're worth solving, right? I mean, it, it's let's assume we can do that in some way. We can decide on a set of parameters that are legitimate, that are uh, fraud related, that are useful uh, across merchants. Um, I mean, would you uh, would you encourage merchants to join into a scheme like that where this there's this ability to share information? absolutely to come together to actually solve those problems even though they're
1: hard. yeah and you know knowledge is power you know the more the more information we have the better decisions we can make uh, we can make and uh you know the, the the more that the more we can mitigate fraud so um if we could you know ensure that um legal and technical issues are are not a problem mm-hmm. you know why wouldn't you
0: one of the um i don't want to talk a little bit about your one of your better hats, which is the MRC. I mean, the MRC is the Merchant Risk Council, for people who don't know, uh, and it's been around for a few years. I'm, I'm not quite sure the history of it. But... Yeah,
1: it's uh, five years in Europe and 15 okay. um, globally.
0: Right. Oh, so that's actually newer than I thought. Yeah. Um, I mean, when should a merchant consider joining the MRC and, and what sort of benefits would they get from, from that? And does it cover some of the things that we're talking about in terms of this collaboration, I think mostly on the education side, if not the
1: yeah i think um you know the the mrc caters for a number of um you know different arenas there's uh, the networking element the you know the benchmarking that you can get the um the education piece there's um there's a lot of value that the mrc offers and that is um across uh people you know in their careers so um I think, you know, you know, when you first come across a fraud problem in your company, if you've just started taking card payments, mm-hmm. I and mean, you start seeing a problem, you know, I think, uh, you know, as a first port of call, go to your PSP and, uh, you know, get them to put you in touch with people who you can collaborate with. Right. And, you know, a lot of PSPs um, have joined the MRC because they see the value that the MRC can give to their, um, to the PSP's merchants. Okay. And I think it's... Um, you know, it, it adds value um as an entry level um mm-hmm. analyst, for example, to someone who's running a um, you know, fraud strategy. Uh we are we the MRC offers one oh one education sessions for people new to chargebacks. I mean, you know, the complexities of chargebacks and fraud is um you know it's not rocket science, but you need to know yeah. um you need to know all the basics and you need to know how to go about things like root cause analysis or the regulations, and just get a basic understanding, and then from there you get to a point where um, you know you can actually speak to other senior fraud professionals, um, discuss different MOs that fraudsters are using, and um, you know collaborate that way, learn that way, um, but also build a strategy. I mean, it's not necessarily a fraud analyst role to build out a fraud strategy, mm-hmm. um, but. Also, fraud analysts need to know just how to split out chargebacks according to their reason codes and do root cause analysis. So you've got opposite ends of the spectrum in yeah. terms of fraud management. And I think the MRC caters for, you know, that whole spectrum. So um, when should you join? Mm-hmm.
0: Now. <laughs> okay. Um, thanks very much, Joe. I think that's a great point to end on. Thanks very much, Jay. All right. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to hear more episodes, you can find the Ravel and Fraud Academy podcast on SoundCloud and on iTunes. And if you're interested in learning more about the Merchant Risk Council, head over to their website at merchantriskcouncil.org.